We're back again with new bass fishing topics and information here on the August 1st podcast of Bass Edge Radio. We appreciate you tuning in with us. Have you purchased your MegaWare KeelGuard product for your boat yet? If you own a watercraft, you owe it to yourself and your boat to have it protected by MegaWare KeelGuard. Visit them at www.keelguard.com. MegaWare KeelGuard enables us to bring you two episodes every month of the most updated bass fishing knowledge from the world's best bass fishing professionals. That's right, Aaron. And today we're going to be talking smallmouth bass. As we are now right in the heart of summer, it seems largemouth fishing, quite frankly, is getting a little tough. But the smallies are chomping up north, and that's where we're heading today in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Well, Kurt, I have to admit, I could sure use some cooler weather. The North Country is a great place to catch a lot of fish this time of year. That's right, Aaron. And before we head up north, I want to remind Bass Edge Nation to stay in tune with with Bass Edge through our social media outlets, including Facebook, Twitter, and of course, BassEdge.com. Bass Edge Radio will be right back after this message. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios. High above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Well, Kurt, it's always good to be back on Bass Edge Radio with you, and I understand you have increased your deposit in frequent flyer miles as of lately. Aaron, it's been unbelievable. You know, I got a couple of emails in the middle of July, people asking me, hey, are you enjoying your time off? Are you relaxing a little bit? (laughs) It has been nothing but the opposite. I ran up to St. Clair to get some practice in for the Elite Series events coming up in the St. Lawrence, and actually just flew over to ICAST. Man, that was a great time over there. Yeah. You know, I did not get to go this year, but I've been to several of them. And what always amazes me is how the industry continues to reinvent itself with a lot of the neat products. What were your top couple products that you were able to see while you were out there? I was a little bit stuck behind the booth working for one of the companies that I support, and that's a Blackwater Torre Fishing Line. But as I was able to gander through some of the things, one of the coolest things I saw, and, and it was brought to my attention because they won a big award for it, was the Power Pole booth had a little micro anchor for small water anglers, you know, guys with kayaks or smaller boats. And it's a power pole, just like we have on our big bass boats, but it attaches to the back of the small boats. And uh, that little micro anchor just goes right down the water and sticks you right where you want to be if you're a small water angler, which of course, we've got a lot of those here that listen to the podcast and are part of Bass Edge. Well, we do. And I think back to my days of trotting around in a canoe on a river or a kayak or something like that, how great it would be to be able to to 
anchor yourself and stay off the trolling motor and not spook the fish. So hats off to PowerPole for getting the award, but also, more importantly, to hitting a market, I feel, that is probably one of the fastest growing. There's no doubt. Part of that, obviously, is expense of all the higher-end equipment out there. But, you know, just being able to get those people involved and then, as you mentioned, PowerPole bringing those folks a quality product and something that's a niche in the sport is really cool. Aaron, I know that just last week or a couple weeks ago, you were doing some stuff with Lucas Oil and Bass Pro Shops. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I thought I'd try my hand out at uh, bull riding and that didn't work so well and I was uh, too ugly to be a clown. So I got to go work the booth at the PBR days at Bass Pro Shops. And of course, those were going on all around the country. And I was able to do some work with Lucas Oil and had a chance to talk with a lot of anglers and really answer questions about the great things that Lucas is doing in the marine products line. And one of the things that kind of stuck out, Kurt, is, you know, I took two props up there, one that I had ran pre-Lucas Oil and then another prop that I'd been running since running Lucas Oil and then also that upper cylinder lubricant as well as the ethanol treatment. And, you know, in the center of the hub that will typically get black in there because that's where the exhaust from a motor comes out. And after running that, and you know, this stays shiny as the day that you bought it and being able to kind of uh, talk to people there and and, uh, really just hang out, have some fun meet some bull riding enthusiasts, but also those people are very, very engaged in the outdoors. So a lot of fun. Yeah, Lucas Oil bringing a lot of great stuff and really niching into the bass fishing world, which is great for bass anglers. You know, they're making high quality products that'll help us keep things clean, tidied up and mechanically keep our stuff running just as smooth as it can possibly run. So Yeah, and the only downside, Kurt, was it was just blistering hot, but it's kind of that time of year, you know, when most people are resorting to night fishing to kind of get away from the heat, but you know, there are still parts of the country where you can go out and target bass, specifically in the North Country. And first thing I think of the North Country is those big smallmouth. You're not kidding, buddy. I'm headed to Oneida right now. And so uh, I'm excited to be fishing for those uh, smallmouth up here, as you call it, the North Country, and excited to be jacking those brownies. I tell you what, I know you got a lot of those down at Table Rock and Bull Shoals and Beaver, and you know, but they act a lot different down in the southern impoundments in the summertime than they do up north in those natural lakes and this is a time up in the north country when they just eat and uh, that's why it's so awesome to be there this time of year largemouth fishing gets a little bit tougher down south and you can go up north and really just have a blast and catch a ton of fish shallow deep and on all kinds of techniques well that's because they only got about three months to eat so they're fish with an attitude and you know speaking of smallmouth up in the north country we've got an angler in his rookie season who is a smallmouth expert Looks like he's on the line now, Kurt. Why don't we take a quick break here and let's join Chad Pipkins for the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit Lucas 
lucasoil.com. Well, today we have one of the nicest guys I have met on tour this year in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. He's BASS Elite Series rookie, very well known in his home state of Michigan as a smallmouth guru. Bass Edge welcomes for the first time Chad Pipkins. Thanks for being with us today, Chad. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate you having me. You, you kind of make me sound good there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, it's our pleasure to welcome you to Bass Edge. I know the listeners will be ready for your fishing insight. You know, you were picked at the beginning beginning of the year by Bassmaster commentator and friend of Bass Edge, Mark Zona, for his fantasy fishing team. And that kind of had to be a little bit of pressure, you know, right out of the gate. Have you graded your first year on tour at this point? And has it kind of been that experience you thought it would be? I wouldn't say pressure right out the gate. I was, I was kind of excited about it, you know. Any press is a good press, I guess. And unfortunately, I haven't used that to my potential yet because I had a kind of rough start here the first six events. But coming into this, I knew it could go either way. You could be six or seven events in and looking for your first check, or I could be six or seven events in and have six checks or so. Just about keeping your head up here and keeping positive and, and staying after it. And unfortunately for me, the beginning of the year hasn't gone quite as planned, especially with the fishing aspect. You know, it's been a little bit slow, obviously, and it's not like you're sitting back on your heels and you're wondering how these guys are catching fish and that you're just not even knowing where to adjust. For me, it's, it's been a little bit more frustrating because I felt like basically one of everything that could happen has happened. You know, maybe I made a bad decision in practice in one, the next one I get out there, I make a tough decision or I don't adjust well in the tournament. And then a couple of times, you know, it's just uh, mental mistakes and lost fish near the boat. And a couple of times just getting unlucky. And then when you look back at it, you know, you're six events deep and like, wow, where did the time go? And it just is what it is. I'm real excited about obviously these last two. I'm getting up north to stuff I'm more comfortable with and hopefully be ready to make some adjustments and kind of go from there. I mean, aside from the fishing aspect, you know, the year's done a lot more than I thought it would be. I really had no idea the time and effort that it takes to really succeed at this. I'd say fishing's about 25% of it, and you know, 75% of it is kind of marketing and, and social stuff here. And I'm trying to do my best at that, so hopefully I can stay in this a little longer, and eventually the fishing's going to connect for me. Well, man, Chad, you bring up a lot of great points. There's so much more than most people realize that goes into uh, competing at this level. And, uh, man, I really think that you're right on your way. I think you're going to be here for a long time. We know that uh, people inside, you know, like Mark Zona, Obviously, he knows what kind of uh, angler you are up north, and even though you may have had a few struggles down south this year, we're headed right into your wheelhouse here for the last couple months of the season. I know that you're going to just tear it up, so I'm excited for you. I appreciate it, too. I'm excited about it as well. You know, it's good for sponsor stuff. It's good for the pocketbook, so hopefully we can uh, have a couple of good events here and then make most of it. Sounds good. I, I tell you, you know, Chad, you came from the way a lot of young anglers come up these days, you know, kind of uh, through the co-angler side, and we had an opportunity to ask Justin Lucas um, this same question in our last episode, oddly enough. And, and so I want to kind of bounce this off of you. And that is, what was the process like for you going from, you know, the co-angler side to the pro side? You really made one of those seamless transitions. And it looks like that you had a thought process that went with that. How was that process for you changing from co-angler through to the pro side? It's more of an ongoing process. And, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the last podcast, but I know Justin Lucas well, and I can guarantee 
say that he's going to be saying the same thing I am, that one of the most beneficial things I've ever done is fishing as a co-angler. And anybody out there that's truly trying to fish professionally, I'd just say swallow some pride and get in the back of the boat for a little bit. Fishing some places you're not familiar with. I love fishing up north, obviously, and that's one of my strengths. And that's why at the time I was fishing as a co-angler, I was still fishing the northern Bassmaster Opens. That way I'm still in my boat making decisions and kind of honing those skills. But then in the places you're less familiar with, you're out there and you're, you're learning from the best in the world. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. You know, you're not just sitting back just fishing as a co-angler. You're also fishing as a pro or, you know, boater, as you will, and kind of working on your skills a lot too. And, you know, fishing as a co-angler really allows you to learn and kind of get outside your comfort zone. You know, so many times if I go to the lake, you just navigate right to your strengths. As opposed to fishing as a co-angler, you kind of learn about a lot of other individual strengths and weaknesses and kind of how they approach lakes. So then when you go to a new lake, you know, as opposed to just doing what you would normally do every day, you're going to look back and go, oh, you remember that one time I was at, you know, Beaver Lake or I was down in Tennessee and I saw so-and-so do this. You've got that in your back pocket too. And just, it really allows you to be more versatile. And that's why I'm excited about getting out there. I hope that transition can click a little bit for me. I can start bringing some of those things I've learned to the table. Because like I said, it was a little slower start this year, but I really feel like I'm I'm very well prepared in the fishing wise, mostly in part to that. I'm excited about what's to come, I guess. Yeah, you know, when I grew up, started fishing, you know, co-anglers weren't there. You know, we were fishing pro on pro and, and uh, a lot of those things that many of us are glad we're not doing anymore. You saying you're uh, old, Kurt? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Older than Chad, I can acknowledge that. But, uh, you know, sometimes I get co-angler envy. You know, you see them come up and it's almost like, you know, being a co-angler keeps it more fresh and more fun, especially when you get started. Um, you don't have to deal with all the maintenance of the boat and, and you're not as worried mentally about about locations of fish because you're you're really just you know at the grace of whoever takes you out there fishing and you have to make those on the water decisions so um you know being a co-angler you know i have envy sometimes because it seems like it's just more fun in a lot of respects and a little bit more free and that's got to help as well as far as just enjoyment of that process it's definitely fun and i travel with some great guys and i learned a lot from them too but man we had a blast doing it as well and it is refreshing to sit back and it allows you to focus more on just fishing and kind of learning about what these other guys are doing you're not out there wondering if the decision to get to here to there i gotta run this i gotta do the boat you can sit back and learn from somebody else's mistakes and learn from their successes and you also have less at risk the entry fees aren't the same you're not investing all the time in the travel and the practice and pre-practice so you really get the best of both worlds and hopefully you can learn from that and transition that to your pro or boater life or you know whatever you're doing next well chad that's a great outlook and you know you brought up something earlier about having items in your back pocket and versatility and looking at your strengths and certainly one of your strengths are being able to put uh, smallmouth, those big brownies in the boat. I mean, it's ridiculous (laughs) when I look at some of the stringers that you've been able to put together in a five fish limit. I think anybody would be envious of that. But speaking of largemouth and smallmouth and just bass in general, largemouth and smallmouth really live in the same impoundments, yet I feel are extremely different animals. In your opinion, what is the biggest difference between smallmouth and largemouth behaviors? You know, it really depends on the lake. You know, because some places, they're not all that different. In other places, they're like night and day. I'd say the biggest difference is, I guess, you know, water quality and depth to which the fish tend to live most often. You know, a lot of times in the southern reservoirs, a lot of the largemouths, they get back in the bays and stuff and live in shallower water with the grass and pads. And you've got your smallmouth out on the kind of more roam and live out on the, the main lake a lot more often in, in deeper water where it's a little clearer and cooler maybe. There's other times of the year, you know, in the fall, the fish eat shad and they chase the same stuff. 
So you could get out on a school of fish and you could be catching largemouth and smallmouth. But obviously throughout the majority of the year in spring and uh, summer, you know, they spawn in different places. They definitely have a different summer hangout as well. It kind of depends on the place you're at, I guess. So what is kind of an, an example of a different, let's say, up north, some of the waters that you typically fish? Describe some of those different summer hangouts, if you would. Yeah, some of the summer hangouts for us would be, you know, outer grass lines. You know, we have some great little inland lakes. And if you get on some outer grass lines, a lot of times those smallmouth and largemouth actually mix together. You know, if you pick up a big crankbait or dragging a worm around on those outer edges, there's been oftentimes where we've caught mixed bags out on those outer grass edges. You know, because that's predominantly like a smallmouth location, you know, deeper, cleaner. But sometimes those largemouth get out there in the summer. But more often than not, you know, if you wanted to strictly target largemouth, you're going to fish around shallow grass, you're going to fish around docks and shallow wood, and that's where you're a lot less likely to catch a smallmouth in a location like that. Chad, is there a time of day or condition for fishing shallow versus deep when targeting the smallmouth? I mean, obviously, you've got, as you explained, you can kind of more primarily target the largemouth fishing the shallow water or move off some in the summertime fishing the deeper stuff and targeting the smallmouth. But is there a certain condition or time of day when targeting those smallmouth where you want to concentrate on? You know, I hate saying it. Man, it varies so much that you really got to get out in the water and different lakes and kind of figure it out because some lakes, it's just completely different than other lakes. For example, like up at uh, Champlain, I have no idea or reason why, but Champlain, the best condition you can have is the highest sun there is, not a cloud in the sky and not a bit of wind. And those smallmouth out there will eat and they will rip your arm off. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, that clear water and uh, when you get that sun and that no clouds and no wind, I think they just chase more. You know, it makes your strike zone bigger. Because I've been out there at, you know, noon, one, two o'clock on a big top water or a big crankbait. And they just, they literally just, it sounds like a baby is jumping on your bait and just the water explodes. And it's probably <laughs> the most exciting way to fish there is. But you try to do that for a large mouth, you know, high sky, no wind, it's probably not going to happen. But for whatever reason, some of those smallmouth lakes, when they're clean like that, those fish just get active and feed. But I think they take advantage of those visibility windows, maybe. Do you think it's because smallmouth are more visually feeding? You know, it seems like largemouth, we're always talking about lateral line and a lot of these kinds of things and vibrations. And obviously those are important for smallmouth too. But I've found the same condition that you're talking about. Whenever you get that high sun, it seems like, you know, a lot of those smallmouth either, you know, they just start to suspend or they really get up on some of those shallow rocky areas, whereas you would think that that's a great time for a largemouth to get shallow would be when it's cloudy and they would get on those shallower areas and start hitting those topwaters. But it seems just the opposite for smallmouth. Do you think that is just their behaviorisms are like that for a specific reason, like they're feeding by sight? It would have to be because there's really no other way to explain it. You know, I don't know why a largemouth that was living in clear water, you know, wouldn't want to just eat a top water all day long. But it doesn't seem to happen. It's those smallmouth, for whatever reason, it gets calm. And if you're in clear water, a lot of times they get very active. I tell you what, it's some of the funnest fishing I've ever had. So as long as it continues to happen, I'll just learn from it and keep going with it. There you go. You're exactly right. It can be a blast out there when those conditions get upright and those smallmouth are chasing hard. And, and like you say, they're trying <laughs> to rip your arm off. But hey, Chad, if you'll hang tight, we're going to take a quick break. Bass Edge Radio with Chad Pipkins will return in a moment. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a Super Start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every Super Start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, Super Start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. 
Back at you back with BASS elite angler Chad Pipkins in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Visit lucasoil.com. It works. Chad, Bass Edge listeners are hearing all about Lake St. Clair as the number one rated fishing lake by Bassmaster.com. If I have three rods to rig up and hit the water this August, tell me how I should set them up for some great summertime smallie action. Oh, I see how it is. Right before we get up there a few weeks, you guys want some secrets. Huh? <laughs> That's right. That's fitting. Very fitting. No, it's, uh, it is. It's one of the greatest fisheries in the world right now, and you really can't go wrong out there if you're targeting smallmouth with, you know, whatever you really, really like to do. The first thing you have to have on the deck is a drop shot. And the reason for that is because the way those fish position in that like perch grass, a lot of times they suspend off the bottom a little bit. It's a good way to get the bait down to them because you wouldn't believe how many times you're just trolling around doing something else and you look down and you see nice big arch. And that drop shot allows that bait to go straight down as opposed to spiraling down like other baits. It just gets right through them before they move on. You just catch a lot of fish like that looking at the graph or video game fishing, as a lot of people call it. It's just a blast catching a big smallmouth right underneath the boat and having it come up and about jump into your lap. So that's one of my favorite ways to catch them. While I'm doing that, I also like to have, you got to have a crankbait on the deck. Especially in August, those fish out there, they do eat a lot of like shad and emerald shiner and stuff. And they're also, a lot of those big fish are chasing perch out there. If you can get around those pods of perch and and just have a crankbait. And the fun thing about it is it doesn't need to be bouncing off the bottom. It doesn't need to be bouncing off weeds. It just needs to be swimming. And if you're ripping it, moving it around, you know, the more things you can do with it, the better. And again, they hit like they're trying to hit you and knock you out. We'll put some strain on your elbow. Wow. And, uh... Yeah, I guess the other bait, I hate saying it, but we're from up north, you got to have a tube. <laughs> it's just a good old standby, and it's a good bait to have when it gets a little windy out. You know, it's not quite as precise as a drop shot, but it's a good bait to try to get a reaction strike. Maybe they're suspended a little bit, and you can hop that tube up off the bottom. It's a good way to make some long casts and get some action like that as well. Well, Chad, on the tube, are you rigging that Texas rig, or are you inserting the hook with the exposed hooks, you know, sticking out the side, or how does that work? When Michigan guys talk about a tube, all we're doing it is putting it on Jake Head. For whatever reason, we don't Texas rig our tubes too much in open water and just a great way to catch smallmouth just with a standard dick head quarter ounce out there and maybe a little heavier if it gets windy but uh, it's a good way to get a lot of fish well and it probably does a couple things you get a better hook set but then also it gives a little bit more of an erratic action it does that's a good point too a lot of times with that texas rig it's kind of a more just up and down approach as to when you're snapping or cracking the tube with the jig it comes up and it goes left right and it kind of spirals down it looks more like a dying fish unfortunately it puts some wicked twirls and twists in your line but we can all get over that i guess <laughs> yeah. That brings up an interesting topic too, Chad. What about how you like to set up your outfit? You know, you hear a lot about anglers fishing braided line and floral leaders. What's your thought process on that? How do you like to set up your rods? Definitely with the drop shot, I don't like the braid. I feel too much. When those fish are eating that bait, every once in a while, they just eat it and there's nothing you could do to get it away from them. But there's times when you're out there where they literally get, and I've seen them on underwater viewer before and even on a camera, they get behind your bait and they literally just mouth the bait. They'll be kind of chewing on it without eating it. And I know me personally, if I've got braid on, I'll pull it from them because I just feel like I feel too much. With a fluorocarbon, you know, seven or eight pound line, I feel like that little bit of stretch or a little bit of delay allows them to get that bait a lot more often. You know, sometimes with a tube, that's a different story because it's just a different kind of bait and I want a larger snap. So I'll throw it on a braid to floral leader. That way I can make longer casts. 
and it just has a cleaner hook fat with that with the tube so I can get immediate pressure on that fish with no stretch. That seems to help me anyway. All right, Chad, you brought up a topic that I want to go there quickly, and that is an underwater viewer. I know that you're kind of the man behind the flogger. Explain quickly what that actually is and how that works. Uh, it's funny. It's a stupid, easy concept. It started with me wearing a pair of uh, swimming goggles in a BFL and catching fish off of beds. You know, you put my head in the water and just adapted. Oh, this is a big cone with a piece of glass in the bottom, and it allows you to break up the surface of the water in case it's got ripples on it. So that way you're looking straight down. All I can compare it to is like bed fishing for a large mouth with your eyes closed or bed fishing one with your eyes open. And that's the difference. And that's about how significant the difference is too when you're trying to sight fish for a small mouth that's on a deep bed. It's night and day and you can catch some giant bags and have a blast doing it while you're watching these fish eat the bait. So do you use this? Do you go in on top of the fish, use it, and then back off? Or are you literally staying over top of the fish while you're actually fishing trying to look through this thing? More often than not, you're actually on top of the fish. You know, a lot of those deeper fish, they care about one thing that's protecting their bed. And sometimes they are very particular in, in the area that needs to be protected. Like it's literally as big as a golf ball. And if you're not looking at them, you're never going to catch the fish. You know, if you're looking at them while you're fishing, which can be tricky at sometimes trying to run a trolling motor, a flogger and a rod and set the hook. And, but it's, uh, it's all, <laughs> that would be pretty tricky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to do some video with that. I mean, that'd be like having both arms, both legs, everything real active. Now, <clears throat> that'd look like he, Kurt trying to get cell phone reset. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Down here on this Mexican border, it can be tough sometimes. But, but Chad, is this particularly something that you only use during the springtime in sight fishing? Or can you actually use it in the summertime or maybe in the fall in viewing you know, the environment of the fish and learning more about them in those time periods. It excels in the spring like you wouldn't believe. But there's a time and a place for it in other clear water places. I often, I'll take it out to St. Clair with me and just have it in the boat. It's fun to learn about, you know, what you're fishing, you know, why you caught a fish here. A lot of times out there, it doesn't look much different on the graph, whether it's side imaging, down imaging, or just sonar. But if you put your head in the water, or if you put that down there, you're going to see changes. Sometimes it's like a little bit of gravel mixed in. Sometimes the grass looks the same on the sonar, but it's actually a different kind of grass. It just allows you to, uh, you know, pick up on things a little sooner and kind of maybe even pick up on sweet spots sometimes. You know, sometimes it's sand that looks like sand, but it's kind of hardened, and, you know, and it's got little little different things going on. It's just a quick way to pick up on other details that other people might be overlooking a little bit. All right, last question on that. How deep can you actually use that? And that's all going to vary on the lake. As far as you can see, you know, you, you can use it. Uh, where we're heading here next, Thousand Islands in New York, you know, I've seen bottom up there and, and the river, and you know, upper 20s and 30 foot of water. And if you get some sun, you're going to see down 30 feet. You know, a lot of the places where up here, it's 15 to 20 feet of water is pretty common. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So where can our listeners learn more about the flogger or learn where to get one and all those kinds of things if they're interested? Yeah, they have them at uh, poorboybaits.com. And they also, they just got picked up there in a uh, tackle warehouse as well. So you can get them at either of those locations. It's another fun way to fish and you'll have a blast playing around with it. Cool. That's great stuff. Good information for the listeners. I've got one more question going back really quick to uh, your rod setup. If you're using a lot of fluorocarbons, you know, right with the spinning reel, you know, you see this all the time, you know, you, you get the line twist, obviously, and it starts coming off your reel or, or after you use it for a day, it's toast because you're throwing a drop shot or, or whatever you are doing with it and, and just the line spinning up on you. Can you just give our listeners a couple tips on how to reduce the effect of line twist over a long period of time? Yeah, the, the easiest way to do it, and again, I didn't do it until about four or five years ago because I was always worried about not breaking, but I love trying to polymer knot. Some people do, some people don't. But all I do to prevent line twists, it's really almost eliminates it, is I take 
a small, it's a very small, it's a, it's a Spro number 10 swivel, and I tie that above my drop shot. So I've got a polymer knot tied to the swivel, and then a polymer knot tied to my drop shot with a polymer knot. <laughs> and you keep your swivel about six inches above the actual drop shot hook, then you've got your weight down low, and that, that really takes care of all of your problems and twists. I've even done that a couple times with a tube. You know, put it up a couple feet, and you just you don't have any more issues. And that can be a big problem, too, when you're fishing vertical, and you're dropping your bait down constantly, lifting it up, you get that little bit of slack in your line. When you lower your rod tip, it coils around the end of your rod. I've had times where I've had bites with my line twisted around there, and it doesn't usually turn out real well. Gotcha. Well, we're going to move on to my favorite part of the show, Chad, and, and that is the professional parts people O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question. And uh, this particular question comes from Kevin Bradley from New York. You know, in, in Kevin's question, he mentions uh, he recently joined a more competitive club. He's won his first club term as a non-boater just a few weeks ago, in part because he things he's learned here on the Bass Edge podcast. So that's pretty awesome. Chad, you're going to have to teach this guy some more stuff about how to win his next couple of things. So, <laughs> so Kevin has a two-part question. Uh, the first one dealing with lure choice and versatility, and the second one pertaining to success from fishing from the back deck. So, so let's start with the first one. Kevin asks, I often read about the seasonal pattern changes and the migration routes of the fish. How do you match lure choice to the seasonal pattern? For instance, he often hears that jerk baits are for spring or late fall pattern. So how does he set that up? Right. Well, first of all, Kevin, I think it's awesome that you're fishing on the back of the boat as well because I guarantee you you're going to be a better angler because of it. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's amazing. And uh, as far as, you know, seasonal patterns with fish, the biggest pattern in any lakes with shad are that, you know, in the fall, the fish feed heavy on shad. A lot of times they chase shad shallow. So in the fall, when those fish are actively feeding on shad, I like to throw a crankbait first, you know, to locate the fish. But once we locate, like, the schools of the fish, then sometimes I'll throw down with a tube or a drop shot or something else to get some of those fish that are less active. And for whatever reason, you know, you mentioned a jerkbait in the spring. I think fish are just different in the spring with the way they react to a jerkbait. I think that's because, you know, in the spring, obviously, they're getting ready to come in for the spawn, and they set up on these pre-spawn places. Like, you might pull up to a point, and there's fish kind of just constantly coming to it, and those fish just kind of stage there. I think they hang out there and suspend. And that's part of the reason why the jerkbait is so effective in the spring, because a lot of those fish that are kind of lethargic and getting ready to spawn, they're just there on that point. They like that kind of subtle approach that jerkbait brings as it kind of just slides on by them. Sounds like oftentimes we're really matching the lure choice to seasonal pattern based on just fish behavior. So um, that's great stuff, and I'll, I'll definitely be able to use some of that, Chad. That's a good answer. Here's question number two from Kevin. As a non-boater, it seems often the boater I'm paired with turns off the rear electronics, limiting me to just being able to catch glimpses of the front to see the depth we're sitting in. Any advice on how to pick out targets to cast to? Often it seems my choices are blind casting or beating the bank. Again, that question is from Kevin Bradley, a New York angler. You know, that's one that I, I faced a lot, too. It had to happen quite often. Anytime you're fishing with a guy that's fishing offshore, a lot of them turn the electronics off or just put it on standby. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of stakes for the guys that have been out practicing, pre-practicing, and for that actual tournament. You know, there's a lot of money on the line, and so it's understandable. You know, they don't, like, for me personally, in the front of the boat, anytime I can help my co-angler catch a fish without hurting myself, you know, I want to do so. In the same sense, if there's a fish underneath the boat that I see on my front sonar and that you see on the back sonar, and we both try to fish for it at the same time, you know, that sometimes that causes a little trouble because you're taking away fish from yourself. So uh, for you being in the back of the boat, be ready for opportunity, I guess. Every time the boat moves, you have fresh water behind the boat. You know, and every time the boat turns, 
there's fresh water behind the boat. As a coloring girl, what I did, I knew what the guys in the front were doing. I never wanted to compete for the same fish they were. You know, I tried to target other fish. You know, if you got a guy casting up shallow, he's on a little contour line, maybe it takes dragging a bait directly behind the boat. Whether it be a drop shot, whether it be a football jig, whether it be paralleling the bank backwards, as dumb as it sounds, you know, when we were at the only pulling river event I won was at Beaver Lake, and I was fishing with Charlie Evans, and we were kind of tied to the bank, like he said, and, uh, you know, sonar's off. I can't really tell how deep it was, but he was fishing tied up to the bank on the laydowns, and I just started casting the big spinnerbait backwards on the bank and kind of trolled it over the deeper edge of the laydowns and ended up catching some really big fish. actually caught a six-pounder in that tournament I thought was a catfish. <laughs> just about being ready and taking advantage of every opportunity you have. You know, it's like somebody pulls into a point and maybe across the bay there's something over there as well. Well, Chance, that's great information because you speak a lot about just uh, kind of broadening your horizons and not getting uh, kind of stuck in the rut of what the guy in the front of the boat is doing. So uh, great advice. Thanks, Chad, for answering Kevin's question. Kevin, please be sure to uh, contact us here at Bass Edge and let us know you heard your question on the show by sending us an email to redeem your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. You too can be the O'Reilly Riley Auto Parts $100 gift card winner by sending in your questions along with your name and hometown to Bass Edge Radio through our email support at BassEdge.com or post them on the Bass Edge Facebook page and tweet them on our Twitter account at Bass Edge. When your question is chosen to be answered on the show, let us know you've heard it via email and you'll become the next winner. Well, Chad, we surely appreciate you taking the time to be with us today on Bass Edge Radio. Any final thoughts for the listeners? Oh, well, again, I appreciate you guys having me here yeah just you know if you're serious about fishing in general and you just want to learn more i mean there's so many ways out there now and avenues to learn that we didn't have you know 10 15 years ago before it was just there's a couple magazines you could learn from and a, you know a couple tv shows now you've got all these different sorts of media and i just like this bass edge podcast it's pretty awesome you can get on here and you can actually interact and ask some questions and reach out to people that are you know fishing 300 days a year and I learn from. I just, I just think that's great, and we'd be fools not to take advantage of it. Well, Chad, we think it's great that you were with us today on the show. We appreciate that. And Bass Edge Radio is going to be right back. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Hey everybody, I'm Justin Lucas. I'm Jason Christie. This is FLW Tour Angler Brian Thrift. I'm Kevin Hawk, BASS Pro Pete Ponds. This is Skeet Reese, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio.
Kurt, if there was any doubt of what to get me for Christmas this year, you can add the flogger to my Christmas list. I will have me <laughs> one of those. Yeah, that was a pretty neat conversation with Chad on there. Also, you know, the listener question, really cool. Um, you know, when Kevin was talking or asking about, and then Chad giving some answers about the seasonal pattern changes and migration routes of the fish and, and how you're going to choose a lure for those patterns. I tell you, I think, too, one of the biggest keys is matching your lure or the action of lure that you might choose to the behavior of the fish for a particular pattern. You know, we talked about the jerkbait fishing. In the springtime and when the water's cold, you know, really long pauses are going to get a lot more strikes, you know, when you use that kind of thing. Conversely, in the summertime when you're fishing a crankbait, if you're able to beat that crankbait and wind it fast and really get that reaction bite from those fish. So using the lure choice to match the fish behavior is just as important as trying to match that seasonal pattern. Well, that's a great point, Kurt, because it really all comes down to metabolism. And think about it this way, you know, the metabolism is going to be affected by water temperature, certainly, but also the bait have their own metabolism. So we've got to try and mimic how that bait, whether it's a crawfish or a shad or, or whatever the bait is, brim, those are going to be moving at a certain pace based upon that seasonal condition. So great advice there. Kurt, unfortunately, we are out of time. Hard to believe, but it's always a pleasure sitting alongside of you at the mic. And for myself, Aaron Martin, and Kurt Dove, as well as the rest of the Bass Edge crew, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next time right here on Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelbar. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.